Hello, and welcome to Nobody Asked for This. I'm Megan. I'm Kendra. Okay, so we are going to keep this short and sweet because we want you to get to this wonderful episode coming up. Interview uh-huh. with Christina Johnson. Uh huh. Just a short little disclaimer up at the front about that. It's going to be a yeah. lot of background noise. Yeah, what happened was we recorded on a Zoom call and Christina was in a juice bar. Mm-hmm. So get out your own piece of paper, put a couple squares on it. Let's bingo it. Have you heard uh, a blender? Have you heard fruit being chopped? Have you heard a clerk telling a really long, loud story? <laughs> And just make it a game so that it can be fun for you and also then glean the content out of it because it is fantastic. It is, yes. And we're so thankful for Christina making the time and like just making yes. it work to be a part yes. of our be a part of the episode. So just briefly, we have to have to talk about Lizzo at the Grammys. First off, <laughs> she won. She won like three Grammys, right? Lizzo won the Grammys. She won the Grammys. She opened the Grammys. She wore three different outfits. Do you have a favorite of her three incredible? Actually, she wore four. If you count the Grammys after party look. (laughs) I've only seen two out of four, and both that I saw were incredible. I love the white. That's Uh the one that I had really seen. Yeah. So I think she wore the white dress to walk the carpet. She wore the black incredible gown, which was the big one. Um, mm-hmm. Christian okay, Siriano. Oh. To perform. Uh-huh. I think the white was Versace. When she won, you know, they go back and you have these photos for those shots. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. wore this other Versace, which we're really going to hit in a minute. And then she wore this incredible, like, zebra print outfit. I don't know what you're supposed to call it. Um, Is it like a two-piece? It's like, no, it's a dress. She's got these, like, teal boots on. She's got the matching gloves up to her elbows with, like, fur. Not fur. Like, um, not even really feather. Just, like, what do you call that? Anyway, around the edges. It's incredible. But in my mind, the outfit that won the night was this Versace dress. I don't know how to talk about fashion, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But you sew, so you have some of the vocabulary. Right, but I mean, I don't know about, like, color and fit and things. Like, that's not, you know. Okay. It is sheer. It is floor length. She looks like she's dripping in diamonds. It has this, like, incredible fringe all over it. Literally dripping. Literally. Is what it looks like. That's exactly right. And she's holding those damn Grammys. Yeah, Um. And she's got these, these shoes look like they're see-through too, like they're clear. Anyway, I'm obsessed with this VBO that she's got Mm -hmm. going on. We've talked about VBO before Uh on an episode. It stands for Visible Belly Outline. And I'm just You can see the hangover uh and it means, and, and, and again, or for the first time, I've seen this dress, uh, for the past two minutes or so had not seen it before but it means a lot to me as i'm seeing it if we didn't love lizzo before i know like come on i know okay so that's all wow wow wow. way to go lizzo once again once again more vbo on the red carpet that's all i'm saying we just need more of it on the red carpet 
Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, because it's real. It's real. It's real. Like, let's quit trying to spanx it up, you know? Yes, agree. Ugh, okay. Our interview is with Christina Johnson. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist based in Dallas, Texas. And her nutrition practice is rooted in intuitive eating and health at every size. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Her private practice helps people recover from disordered eating, eating disorders, and chronic dieting. And she's dedicated to nutrition justice and finding ways to bring food freedom to those facing food insecurity and living in food deserts. She's doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. or the whatever's work you want to say. <laughs> Seriously, though, no, you Lord, don't hear many Lord, people. Yeah, Lord's Lord good because Lord doesn't have to be great. One particular thing. She's thinking it's her work is so intersectional and it's so important. And I'm so honored that she took the time to Ugh. record with us. And she has her own podcast, which we get into in the interview. Yeah. I'll go ahead and tell you the name. It's called Intuitive Eating for the Culture. Oh, she has such an important voice in this. And, you know, I'm just I want to feel the need to reiterate what Megan just said. We're so grateful that she took the time to come and make space to talk to us because we I learned so much from talking to her. So me too. In the interview, we talk about eating disorders. We talk about race. We talk about food deserts and food insecurity. So take care of yourself. Yeah. And just, you know, general disclaimer here, but this is for information and entertainment purposes only. We are not medical professionals. So there's that. Welcome to Shut the Fuck Up, where we discuss instances of diet culture within pop culture. Today, we are with Christina Johnson, dietitian based in Dallas, Texas, and we're discussing the homecoming special on Netflix that is Beyonce's Coachella performance. Yup. First of all, this, I guess you would call it a documentary, I don't know, special, is so good. It's beautiful. The music is incredible. She's incredible. Not I. I don't know that I can say this, but I think it was an a such a beautiful representation of Black culture that I didn't know anything about, and I can only imagine what representation like that feels like. So I want to say I think it was fantastic. It, it was. It's beautiful. And there's a small part of it that made me go. Ooh. <laughs> And that's yeah. what we're discussing. And that's what we're discussing. Yeah. yeah. I think I heard Maya Rudolph talk about being there um, in some interview, and she was like, yeah, I was basically just bawling my eyes out the entire time because I'd never seen anything like this mm. before. Yeah. yeah. So in it, there's some documentary aspects. It's the concert, but there's the documentary aspects of kind of the preparation for it and how much time and energy it took. And she had, um, Beyonce had had her twins like just months before yeah. this performance. And so... This is kind of a section that's showing her rehearsals and her dancing and um, eating an apple at one point. And um, and this is what that kind of monologue is. I'm just going to read it. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about it. So it says, she says, uh, in the beginning, it was so many muscle spasms. My body was not connected. My mind was not there. My mind wanted to be with my children. What people don't see is the sacrifice. I would dance and go off to the trailer and breastfeed the babies and the days that I could, I would bring the children. 
and then there's this big long pause of this like musical mon like seeing all these different rehearsals and things and she says um in order for me to meet my goal i'm limiting myself to no bread no carbs no sugar no dairy no meat no fish no alcohol and i am hungry just trying to figure out how to balance being the mother of a six-year-old and twins who needs me and fulfilling myself creatively. I definitely pushed myself further than I knew I could, and I learned a very valuable lesson. I will never, and then she laughs, I will never push myself that far again. That's what she says. I'm like, yeah, what are you eating? Of course you're hungry. I also want to acknowledge that as as a pop star, as a woman, as a black woman, the the in the intense pressure that she must be under oh, yeah, absolutely. and as a new mother to uh to be that certain like body ideal mm-hmm. um so we're not criticizing beyonce everyone's a victim of diet culture that's right it's the fact that she felt like that she had to do that in order to give the like her best performance yeah. do you know i think yeah. which is that exact thing right. that pressure of diet culture yeah i the dietitian in me is like shaking my head and the viewers can't see this but please know that i'm shaking my head seriously <laughs> she says that she doesn't eat carbs while she's holding an well, apple. she's holding an apple yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like you know what a carb is yeah <laughs> this, is, this is sad we were gonna say it but yeah <laughs> that, that's the first thing i think and then mm-hmm. i like gosh like I've grown up with Beyonce and not a part of the Beehive, but I have grown up with Beyonce. And like, I remember when she was in Destiny's Child and like, she started her career when she was a teenager. And the fact that we sort of um, forced her to maintain that same body that she had when she started her career as a teenager is mind boggling to me. Like she's a mom of three kids. Like we should be celebrating that and a wife and she's a world traveler and a, she's married to hip hop's first billionaire. And she's a mogul. And she's a yeah. mogul and she does things for the community and yet we're like, okay, but Beyonce needs to look a certain way. Yeah. Like, it's crazy to me. And the yeah. fact that, that, of first of all, I don't know how she breastfed because clearly, I don't know how she would have gotten enough calories. I know. Like, I'm, I'm confused. Like, where would the energy have come from as she's doing these hours long rehearsals to still create enough breast milk to feed her kids? And she's got twins. So, like, that's double right. breast milk. Right. There's also a moment, um, I think it's just kind of after this part, where she's in her trailer and she's trying on this costume, which I don't know that I ever saw her wear on the actual concert, so I don't know what it was for, but anyway, she's trying on this costume, and she is like, um, you see her through the rehearsals, like, just kind of how drained she is, it's, I mean, that's kind of how I see it, I mean, she's exhausted, she's not eating anything, she's trying to take care of two brand new babies and a six-year-old, she's trying to learn this routine, she's like, the artistic director of hundreds of people that are being, that she's invited to participate. I mean, you know, it's a huge endeavor that she's taken on and, um, and, and does execute beautifully. I mean, it's beautifully done. Um, but so you kind of see this like drainedness throughout and then she's in the trailer, she tries this outfit on and she like lights up because she can fit in the outfit. Finally, like the goal has been to fit in this outfit to the point of where she calls her husband J, C, Jay-Z, whatever, <laughs> to like show it off to him that look, I'm not, you know, I fit into this, this outfit. No, no, I feel like there's, again, it's that pressure of the, of the culture and certainly a pressure she has no doubt felt her entire life to some yeah. degree. Yeah, and then there's so. that aspect of her being the trophy, right? Like yeah. she's mm-hmm. upheld in culture and in black culture as the ideal body. 
mm. of like, oh, I want that Beyonce body. Like I am in the most recent photos I've seen of her, my stomach hurts, not because of like she's unattractive, but like I feel like her organs have to have shifted based on like how small her waist is these days. Mm. Like like my, my insides hurt just trying to like contort my body to even remotely look like that. Or like yeah. feeling like she has to maintain this specific image in order to be um this celebrity that she is if you ask me her celebrity status is solidified like my girl is a living legend she can do whatever she wants to do that's right if she wants to if she wants to let her body exist in the size that it's naturally going to exist at do that and quite frankly make it okay for other people to do it beyonce if you're listening (laughs) we love you we love you we're sorry we put these pressures on you this just made me sad yeah yeah because she is such a force, you know? She is, and, like, the uh, the influence that she has, right? Like, she's influenced people to consume a plant-based diet. Yep. She influences people to want to go to school or to be proud of who they are. Like, she has incredible yeah. influence. Yep. I just wish that she could use her own body image to influence others to accept themselves just the way that they are and not feel like they need to go on these crazy diets and not feel like they need to have this quote Beyonce body because Beyonce doesn't even have Beyonce's body she's existing right. in a she's existing in a borrowed body that's right yep. like if she stops going on crazy diets and stops exercising 15 hours a day and pro- and maybe <laughs> plastic surgery like we don't know but maybe right right and like there's, there's and photoshop yeah yeah let's not forget photoshop people photoshop personal is chefs. a thingy she has a personal and like I think it's important for people to remember and I'm saying this so that y'all listening can remember these celebrities have everything at their disposal she's married to a billionaire she has access to a dietitian she has access to her own personal physician someone that goes with her wherever she goes if she wants she has access to gyms all hours of the day she doesn't have to watch her children someone else can do that for her like she doesn't have to cook her own food there's so many things that go on there mm-hmm. she's not she's probably not even sending her own e- emails right like, there's right. so many things that other people are doing for her so she can spend 15 hours rehearsing for something and it's so interesting that she said at the end, I learned a very valuable lesson. I will never push myself that far again. So even Beyonce married to a billionaire, a millionaire in her own right, with all of those resources, it still wasn't sustainable for her. It's, no, it's not. I mean, when you think about all the things that she read off that she doesn't eat, I'm convinced she was only drinking water. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, and it, it, and it, I wish there had been more to this, but maybe she isn't aware of it, but they're like the detriments long-term that those decisions did to her body for the sake and of I, our entertainment. Do you know? Yeah. Like that's... And, and she won't know that. Like she right. won't know that until she's older. So she won't know if that long-term restriction affected her bone density. Cause that's something that does happen. And so maybe she has more brittle bones in the future. She won't know if that affected her fertility because we do know that long-term restriction does affect fertility. It decreases it. Like she can't, she can't know until yeah. she gets into those older ages and like has the long-term ramifications of it, whether that is um, altered bone density or she potentially could set herself up for, because the, the weight cycling part of it could set herself up for hypertension based on weight cycling and not based on like her body size or the weight cycling that it could set her up for living with diabetes or something like that. Mm-hmm. She won't know that until another 10 or 15 years. And hopefully in that 10 or 15 years, she stops doing this and yeah. can really just like come to her own. She's a mom of three beautiful children. Like yeah. do you girl. 
Yeah. She also had performers on stage that did live in bigger, bigger bodies. And I appreciated that, like mm -hmm. that representation. But then I, I found myself listening to her talk about trying so hard to change her body. I thought, I wonder what that performer thought about that. And I wonder what they internalized. Well, they still don't know that ultimately Beyonce is the star here. They're just the backup. Yeah. And it's right. knowing that I can't be the star. Yeah. Or it's the feeling that they can't be the star because clearly Beyonce, like everybody wants Beyonce, but nobody wants her fat backup dancer, which somebody wants her fat backup dancer. Beyonce wanted her fat backup dancer. Right. Lizzo wants her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lizzo. Yeah. So we want to end with how we usually say it, but we want to be clear that we're saying this to diet culture. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Steamed Crab Rangoon Wonton Soup Crispy And our favorite Lizzo song Batches and Cookies I got my batches and cookies I got my batches and cookies I got my batches and cookies we want to know a little bit about your body timeline and what that means for us is what um, thoughts and beliefs you grew up with around food and your body and movement. That's deep. That's loaded. It is. I grew up in a single parent household, so it's just me and my mom. And my mom has been on a diet, I would say, probably since the 80s. And so that played a huge role in how I like looked at food and looked at my body. And I can still remember her like being in the mirror and being like, okay, I need to lose X amount of pounds. And so as I went into my first dance class, the instructor that did our, uh, the, the seamstress that measured all of our costumes and made them by hand, she measured me. And she just kind of like made this negative comment about how my fa the fact that my body wasn't a dancer's body. Oof. And from then on, it was just like, oh, I don't have a dancer's body. Like, what is it supposed to look like? And I remember looking at this girl in class who, like, the instructor loved, thought she was the best thing ever. And she was just sitting there eating McDonald's. And I was like, well, why can't I eat that and yep. still have the same body? Like, why is mine different? Yeah. How old were you? Oh, man, I was maybe like six or seven. Yeah, that's been, like, that's been common. The stories that we hear and also our own stories, it's around six years old that people start th wondering if their bodies are okay. Yeah, it's like, a, I think it's a developmental stage. Mm -hmm. If I remember my child psychology correctly, I think it's a developmental stage and it's like, that's that peak time, like teaching kids that your body's okay. And I didn't get that. And so I grew up and like, as I got older and the internet became a thing, because it became a thing, right? <laughs> as I was like learning how to feed myself and I would like go online and find all these things. And I increasingly started cutting out more food, avoiding this, avoiding that. And it got to the point that my family was worried about me. I didn't care because I just wanted to keep going. Yeah. They were worried about what? They were worried about how small I had gotten. And they were worried because at one point I had uh, passed out at my grandma's house. Mm. And so uh, we went to the doctor and the doctor didn't think anything was wrong. Now that I have professional training and can look back and say, okay, I was orthostatic. You should have asked me more questions. I had fallen off my growth curve. You should have asked me more questions. It was really hard because I grew up in a black household and went to school with white people. 
and I was mm. constantly stuck between the two of like which of these bodies am I supposed to look like and like do I look like my friends who I don't look like I've never worn the same size pants as them or do I look like the people I'm in my family with that my mom is constantly saying like they need to lose weight they need to go on a diet mm. like where do I fit wow we're taught like as a like a dietitian we're taught like kids don't need to be losing weight and yet you go into these schools and you go into these public health programs and that's what they're trying to teach them to do as an eight-year-old to get on a scale and weigh themselves and that like provide validation of like oh good job you lost weight but they're not thinking about the consequences of how is your mental health affected by this because oftentimes before that person loses weight their brain development is disrupted Mm. because of restriction yeah, because they're not getting enough energy to fuel their brain. And so one of the things that I learned growing, like as I got older and was a little bit further away from my own destructive behaviors was oftentimes you can tell someone's not getting enough nourishment based on their sentence structure and their ability to pay attention. And I, for the life of me, it's not that I have ADD, it's just that I don't have enough energy to focus in class or to focus on these long-term tasks because I was starving myself. Wow. And, and all they could see was, good job, you lost weight. Wow. I just don't understand how it's it's gotten so backwards. I mean, it's, it's, I, mean I do and I don't, you know? It's a war on people's bodies, and I don't understand it. And I think it's really it's really unfortunate that we've created this paradigm where, like, only certain bodies are valued and only certain bodies can be healthy, regardless of what they're actually doing. Because you could look at these people in these smaller bodies, and they're not even remotely healthy. They're engaging in dangerous behaviors. They might right. have, like, drug issues, alcoholism. They could be skipping food all the time they could be binging and purging like you don't know you can't look at someone and tell absolutely said okay they fit the certain size now they're healthy check right it's not all bodies are different so why do we expect them to all be the same and then prescribe things when they're different from each other mm-hmm. it's, it's a nightmare yeah it's not okay so when we talk about uh the stigma that we encounter from Uh, doctors and the whole medical community Um, a lot of those markers are based on BMI and from my small research that I've done BMI is not a good measure and I'm sure that you can speak to that a lot better than I can so tell me about it yes so BMI is created as a statistical measure and I'm getting right there real science done here for a hot second but it's a statistical measure for a large population of data so BMI was originally intended to be used on thousands of people at one point. So if you took the data from the entire U.S. population, which is millions of people, you could use BMI because it would make a lot of more sense. You could get an average of what's going on there, but it's not meant to be an individual person. It doesn't take into account genetics. It doesn't take into account um, how physically active that person is. If they And in school, we learned like, how to adjust it for an amputation. But then off the, cu- off the top, I have to force that person to lose weight because their BMI went up because they lost part of their leg. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yes. So it, it's oh really gosh. like, it's, it's tricky. Ooh. It's so terrible. it's a very, it's imperfect. It's not accurate. It's imperfect. Like it's a flawed. But it was never intended to be used on people. Oh, uh, yeah. That most people don't know is that it was, it was crafted based on a white male. So it's going to miss anyone that's not a white male. <laughs> like most things in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, it's, trying to take it's with retrofitting something it's trying to take this thing that wasn't used for you it wasn't it didn't have you in mind at all and retrofitting it to you the person's not really going to work very well am i am i wrong that it was created by mathematicians it was statisticians it wasn't actually created with the health community in mind oh no not at all it was created by a statistician to analyze data like population data like if you wanted to analyze the data of like the state of mississippi or something you could use it for that and then what happened is insurance companies were like yeah give me that 
Ah, right. okay. Yes, and then if you go back, and I, I believe it was either the 80s or the 90s, they moved BMI scale. It wasn't the original, like what we're, what we're used to now is not what the original scale was. They shifted it back. So like any anybody that would have landed in the quote, like overweight category, they were originally a healthy weight, but they moved it back. And then all of a sudden people woke up overnight and they're like, their insurance company's like, um, you need to get it together because you're not healthy anymore. Wow. So just so I'm so understanding, capitalism. So capitalism. <laughs> so the insurance g- gets a hold of it, and then they they take the range, the numbers. Like let's say, um, can you give me what's quote unquote healthy? Point five to twenty five. Okay, so that used to be like up to I believe around twenty seven, twenty eight. Twenty seven. Overnight, someone decided to move it down for whatever reason. To make more money. Right. And then the next day people woke up and said, oh, you're in an unhealthy range now, so you're not covered. Mm-hmm. Wow. I had no idea. That's wild. So. <laughs> and what's crazy is, like, if you look at the research, most people that land in that, quote, overweight category, that, like, 25, like, 29-ish, they actually have the best outcomes. Like, it's, they have, like, more longevity. Oftentimes, that's where we want grandma and grandpa to be, because if they fall, they're less likely to break a hip. Because their bones are less brittle. Yeah, their bones are they're more insulated. And if they do fall, they bounce back from it. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Facts. Just I... make all the difference. What'd you say? I said facts. Facts. Not facts. I thought you said fats. Also fats. Yeah. But also making all the difference. Yeah. <laughs> facts make different and facts make different. Is there anything else around kind of your body timeline that you would like to talk about? More recently, I think like in the the college years, things got really hectic in terms of like me learning to enjoy exercise. And I'm using air quotes because we're having a, you're listening to this audio, I'm using air quotes, not enjoy. (laughs) It became me like obsessively exercising and obsessively compulsively exercising as a way to like control my body. And only in the last like five or six years, I would say, have I really gotten to this good place of like, now my body is what it is. Like it doesn't have to put a specific mold. Like I went on vacation as we're recording this, like a couple days ago. And I went to the beach and that's the first time I didn't think about my body. I was just like mm-hmm. enjoying the waves and being like, yeah. yeah, this feels great. And my thoughts about my body were like, ooh, did I put enough sunblock on? I don't want to burn. And then like, oh, let me make sure I get the parts where if my swimsuit moves, I don't burn there either. That's beautiful. Yeah, it wasn't like, what does that person think about my thighs? Or like, is that person saying that I'm too big to be wearing whatever or to be on the beach? Like. I was just enjoying the conversation with my friend and like being so grateful to just be in the water again. So I haven't been to the beach in years. And you were caring for yourself. I mean, in that, you know? Oh yeah. I feel more creative now because I like the beach is my happy place. I'm like, Oh, I have all these ideas now that I want to do. And it feels good to just have been in the sun. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I've got a quick question. Were there practices that you did to be able to change those thought patterns? Yes. So one of the most helpful things was creating a list of all the things that I'm grateful my body can do and like things that it helps me do. So, and it's never like physical, like physically focused things. So I might say, I'm grateful that my arms help me hug people because I love physical touch or I'm grateful that my nose helps me smell coffee. So I love coffee or um, I'm grateful that my body allows me to go to the beach and spend time in the ocean family there more now of um 
my ability, like my physical ability to go to the beach after following dietitian Anna, who has multiple sclerosis and can't go to the beach and spend the time in the water as easily. The thing that I've really been doing recently is like when I go try and clothes and say, if this doesn't fit, it's not because my body's bad. It's because the clothing didn't fit. Yep. And I can like put it on. If it doesn't fit, okay, fine, whatever, move on. Yeah, yeah. I'm also hearing you say that it switched from what does everyone else think about my body to what do I think about my body? Not not um, aesthetically, but like what 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 are my own feelings about what it can do and how amazing it is? And also, what does it need? What does it need? Yeah. Yeah. What does my body actually need? Does it need rest? Does it need movement? Does it need fuel? Does it need water? Like really stopping and take like a step back and really get in touch with that. Because I had a conversation recently with a family member and all she could see was like, oh, your body used to look healthy and I'm concerned about you now. And I know based on like lived experience, that body wasn't healthy. This body is the healthy one. This is the one that like takes rest when it needs it. And if it needs a full day off, well, girl, have a day off that like eats when I'm ready and stops when I'm full and can really get into the nuance of intuitive eating and can help other people get to that nuance of intuitive eating because I'm not so busy in my head thinking, what did I have at the last meal? Okay, and how do I work that off? What am I going to have at the next meal? Okay, I'm avoiding this. I'm avoiding that. Like constant thoughts. Like again, I found that old journal and to read that my entire life was revolved around avoiding food. And when was the next time I could get physical activity in and trying to figure out how to be smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that I couldn't engage in my own life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so I just want to help people find that same freedom of like, we are created to do stuff and things not to look a certain way. And if you're so focused on looking a certain way, you can't do stuff and things. Yeah. 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 That's a great perspective. Did you have a response to the family member? Uh, yeah, it was more of a conversation of like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to be that girl. Cool. Yeah. And that's a full sentence. <laughs> like that, that's, you know, like that's you not. don't have to say anything else. Yeah. yeah. Cause I don't, first of all, I don't want to be that 17 girl today. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to be in that headspace. Like the amount of mental, like, flexibility and just space I have to think about stuff and to be creative and to engage in conversations with people like if you I couldn't have done this five years ago right you talked a bit about uh, working with your clients um, and so you're a registered dietitian so what brought you to that education and that work um, I, I think subconsciously a lot of dietitians become dietitians because we have wonky relationships with food and we want to learn more Um, but cognitively at 17 I decided that I wanted to become a dietitian because I wanted to help people who look like me like my family members other black people Mm -hmm. um, get nutrition information that was relevant to their lives because I have family members who have uh, like chronic renal disease my uncle had renal failure and got a kidney replaced Mm -hmm. and watching the family members have hypertension and diabetes and things like that and the the unnecessary consequences like obviously you're going to live with diabetes for the rest of your life but it's not required that you get your leg amputated like you don't have to have that consequence and learning like and wanting to learn how to help them in a way that made them feel heard and feel like they could implement these behaviors without feeling like they were trapped or punished for having this illness so say more about um your view of intuitive eating kind of the whitewash of it and how did that like, how did you 
how were you able to kind of move through that and find the way forward that made sense for you and your culture? Yeah. So when I first found intuitive eating, um, I found like some of the like heavy hitters like uh, Christy Harrison and uh, Rebecca Scratchfield and like that sort of corner of the intuitive eating uh, universe. Mm -hmm. And I think they're great people. Don't take this as me like shading them and being like, they're not great people because they are. It's more of like feeling like they still recovered into a pretty um, acceptable body, like a size wise. What does that look like? Not there. And so then I found like people in larger bodies, but they're still white women. It's like, okay, yeah, but you don't eat the same thing that I eat. Like you don't go home for Thanksgiving and have like collard greens, mac and cheese, like really like heavy, dense Southern cooking. So what does that actually look like? Cause they're over there talking about like pate. I've never had pate a day in my life. And I, I, I don't see that happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That day's probably not going to come. And so it was like, okay, what does that look like? And so I created this Instagram profile, which is how you guys found me. Mm-hmm. And it was me trying to learn like, how do I share this so that people who look like me feel like they can relate to it? Because, like, I can do it, but that's also because I grew up in, like, a school with white people. I went to a college with white people, so I know how to talk to them and have that conversation. But how do I take that and shift it over so that people can feel like, okay, I can do this intuitive eating thing? Yeah. How to, like, make it feel like it, it's an extension of themselves. Mm-hmm. A term that you've used, and I would love for you to de- define it. Also, I can't think of what it is, but it's um, cultural... It's a, it's a way of practicing. Oh, cultural competency? Could you define cultural competency for us? It's not just the understanding that there's a cultural difference, but welcoming and learning how to embrace that cultural difference. Because, like, I could be uh, culturally aware that, like, let's say my client is Hispanic, or I could be culturally competent and say, like, okay, so what is it that you're eating in your daily life? And not assuming that they're eating tortillas and enchiladas every day or assuming that they're eating papooses every day. Like, that's ignorant to assume that that person's doing that. But instead, figuring out what it is that you're doing, how does your culture affect how you feel about food? Like, where does that relationship get tangled? So you volunteer at a food bank. I know this from Instagram. Tell me about your experience doing that. So as part of my internship, I volunteered one. It wasn't really volunteering or was it, but it was my like experience in my internship of like being on the food bank. And I realized I really enjoy that of like getting to be with people who are very underserved and have this very like now, now, now philosophy because they're in the middle of food, um, food insecurity. And so when I came back to Dallas, I was like, okay, I want to get involved in this. And I got involved with uh, a food bank here in, in Dallas, in Dallas County. And the first day that I go, lady i'm sure she had the best of intentions her first thought was is this helping people lose weight and are we tracking that outcome and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking wait a minute this person doesn't have consistent access to three meals a day and you're focused on their weight and if they're losing weight like Mm. uh, i think we're like we're on like we're at two different locations right now i think you're like (laughs) at the weight loss clinic and i'm at a food bank yeah (laughs) They don't need less food. They need more food. Yeah. Exactly. That was my thought. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, or like demeaning the choices that they were making based on what they had access to, right? Like if you live in a food desert, which for reference, a food desert is a, a place that doesn't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables within, I think, a, a 10 mile radius. So this is like, you live somewhere and the only thing you have is like a 7-Eleven or a gas station. And this lady gets frustrated because she can't be the nutrition instructor. Because one of the, the rules was that to be a nutrition instructor, you have to have a at least uh, two years of experience in school 
for nutrition. Yeah, that's a great rule of thumb. <laughs> I think it's appropriate. I really think that's appropriate. And she was frustrated that she couldn't come in there and give this, uh, what I would deem not very helpful nutrition advice of focusing on like, you need to be focusing on losing weight, you need to be focusing on only eating these things. And it's like, this isn't relevant. And this is where cultural competency comes in at again, because it's not relevant. Right now I'm trying to make sure you get enough nutrients. I'm yeah. not concerned about taking stuff away. Mm, right. And like, are you living in your car? Do you have access to a refrigerator? Do you have access to a stove? Do you have access to utensils and storage things like Tupperware or whatever to store the food in? Do you have the skills to do it? It's 2019. We are past the point of assuming everyone can cook. Right. Yeah. Right. It's also it's also about like nobody should have to do anything to deserve food. Like you you are a human, and so therefore you get food. Like it's not like your decisions around food don't equate your value so even if you have access to all those things and you're still choosing a different way like that's okay too do you, does that make sense what i'm saying yeah it's the yeah. thought that you don't owe anyone health right that's yeah. right you, you don't it also makes me think about um caroline duner on her podcast talks about how restriction uh the body reads biologically as famine so it's in these, our book actually but did oh, you hear it, it on our podcast mm -hmm. oh um so this group of people um that have food scarcity are having the same side effects as dieters or people that restrict because the body reads it both of them as bio as uh famine so this woman was wanting to put more stress and I mean, unknowingly, she was ignorant about it, right? But like more stress on the body that's already in famine mode and already hanging on to everything that it can because it doesn't get food regularly and wanting to restrict further. Like that's just. And I think that speaks to her, her fat phobia of like this yes. petite little woman. And I like, I took that into account as I was sitting next to her. I was like, mm, she's a small lady. Like that's. Okay, she's probably going to think that because she's never lived in that bigger body, at least from what I could gather. And again, it's a food bank. You're going there because you, you can't afford to go to the grocery store. This is the closest thing you have to you. You just recently lost your job and can't afford it. Or like even with your job, you're just struggling to make ends meet to afford groceries. Mm -hmm. And you're going to walk into that environment and say, I get that, but you need to be focused on performing health for other people. Yeah, performing health for other people. Yeah, exactly. And exactly what you said, the root of it is fat phobia. Mm -hmm. It is not health. It is not concern. The root is fat phobia. Well, in a, in a similar, uh, not the exact same, but in a similar sense of Megan and I don't look in the mirror in the morning and go, we're white women. You know, she doesn't necessarily look in the mirror and go, I'm, a, I'm not fat or I'm a thin woman. Like, she just exists in the world. She doesn't have to acknowledge that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, that, it's that freedom to exist and just move about and not have to think about it. And I'm, I'm glad for you. I genuinely am. I'm glad for you that you get to exist in the world and not have to worry about certain things. But I also am sad for you that you can't acknowledge other people's experiences and act as an ally to them. Right, right. Like yeah. that you're stuck in that bubble of like, my world's just happy, go lucky. And I'm not saying that you don't have struggles because of course you do. Everybody does. And I'm not ignorant to that fact, but like nobody's constantly reminding you of your struggle. Nobody's looking at you and saying that you are wrong. You are bad because of something that you have no control over. So you have a podcast. Tell us the name of it. It is Intuitive Eating for the Culture. And what's that mean? 
that is, so some people really don't like the phrase for the culture, but it is essentially intuitive eating for people of color, black people, however you feel like you connect with me. Maybe you feel like you connect with me because you grew up in a similar fashion or because you are a minority and so you're like, oh, okay, like she's a minority, I, I trust her or I want to hear more about what she has to say. So that's really why I created it. And I feel like there are lots of podcasts about intuitive eating by many lovely white women. Um, that's right lovely white woman but I think it's time to have another voice in that conversation absolutely and to make it more um personal but also more just like I guess in the culture of like what does it look like to eat intuitively in the specific body size or what does it look like to eat intuitively and go to the cookout right like have that full fat um, potato salad, hopefully mustard, not mayonnaise, because mayonnaise potato salad is absolutely so trash. <laughs> hot take, hot take. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is trash. Like, I don't know why people put raisins in it. It makes no sense. Ew, I don't know why that either. I've never had that before. <laughs> Y'all do you. <laughs> but it's like having those conversations to eat intuitively and have diabetes or to eat intuitively and have hypertension, like, it's perfectly okay to eat the things that you grew up with and the things that you love and not feel like you owe it to society to perform health and like what is adding healthy behaviors look like tell us your tagline i it just came out one day and i was like yeah that's it so the tagline is intuitive eating for the culture because we like vegetables just not unseasoned (laughs) just not it makes me so happy that's fantastic so I want to tell you some things that I really like about your podcast I like the length (laughs) as as a podcast that is usually about an hour long I really enjoy a 15 to 20 minute podcast it's a perfect for your commute to work um it's funny like in I think it's your first episode when you're like how will I know if I'm a diet if I'm on a diet and you like are kind of putting it into Whitney Houston's how I know Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing, and it's so, it's weird. Um, I think this is why it's important when we're unlearning some sort of system of oppression or whatever, we need lots of different voices, one to know different perspectives, but also just like we hear some things from some people that we won't really hear from another person. Listening to your podcast, something clicked with me that had never clicked before. And that was that I've been in this phase where I'm just like, I just don't want to cook. Like, I just don't have the energy for it, blah, blah, blah. What I realized listening to your podcast is I'm waiting too long. I'm I'm not honoring the first hunger. I'm waiting until it gets to past hunger. And then I'm like, oh, I need to make a meal. Well, I don't even have the energy to make the meal at that point because I'm too hungry. So one, I just want to say thank you for that because that really clicked in my brain. And just to encourage everyone to listen to this podcast because I think it's fantastic. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. That was like a real lived experience. In my internship, it would be like, I've been in the car because I commuted from an internship. I would commute an hour and a half in one direction most times. And so it's like, I've been in the car for an hour and a half and I didn't have anything to eat when I got in the car, but I was hungry. So by the time I made it home, I was so hungry. I was irritated and just like had no, no energy to cook. And so it was learning like, hey, I'm too hungry. How do I put a snack in there? Or how do I have something like readily available? Yeah. So I started like purchasing things that were like, put it in the microwave and I have dinner in like three minutes. Yeah. 
times we're taught like you should not eat processed food they're so bad for you and it was like really like going back and undoing that and giving myself that permission to be like you know what I want like frozen rice that I'm gonna microwave in two minutes and have like rice and uh, some veggies on the side and be content with that and be just fine or like I could stop at the drive through and pick something up and that's okay right yeah totally this has been so great thank you so much for coming on our podcast and letting us talk about uncomfortable things and work through some stuff yeah yeah no thank you so much for having me and being so patient as I sit of course juice shop and all the sounds that come with the juice shop. <laughs> oh, the juice shop oh, the sounds juice are shop. loud and sometimes they are too loud for us to keep on talking. I can't understand the words you're saying, but it's super cute. <laughs> This episode's inductees to the Fat Friendly Hall of Fame are Amy Schumer, Lolly Adifope, and our guest, Christina Johnson. These are the people we've been waiting We are the people we've been waiting for. Well, wasn't that great? So good. Hey, Megan. Yeah. So... Based on our last conversation about the yes. amount of videos that I send you, which yes. if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should go right when we're done here and listen to the last bonus episode that we released. I would just like to know if I have adjusted according accordingly. I think that you have. Okay, good. I And here's what I appreciate. You've sent me some videos with also text underneath just to sort of give me some bearing of what's coming up in this video and I also feel like there's just uh, maybe a better expectation of you of like you know I may or may not get to this in the day that you send it to me but I will be better at trying to remember that there is a video so that I can then watch said video love it I'm so glad that we could come to this understanding together so I would say Kendra that your secret weapon is sending videos Instead sure. of text. And if you're out there and you would like videos, just dumb, dumb videos. Most of them mm-hmm. are very dumb. When I mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you know, hit our DMs up. Maybe we can make yeah. that happen for you. Yeah. And then I would say that my secret weapon is not responding to those videos. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know what my secret weapon is this week, but... We know that the secret weapon of podcasters is getting ratings and reviews. So head on over to Apple's iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a short and sweet review. It would, or a long one. It would make our day and also it would help our podcast to reach more people. Thanks.